That is the direction that we are going for this evening. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are at the Ferndale campus, and a special welcome to those of you who are online. Apparently, we have a small group of people who watch every week in Egypt. And so I'm going to ask, would you here at Bellingham welcome our friends and our family that are watching in Egypt? That's pretty cool. There's about 25 of them, and apparently they gather around a little computer, and they download it, and they watch it with us. And you guys are family, and we're glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us. A couple of announcements as we get started. First of all, if, uh, if you're a leader, we've got something for you that's a little out of the ordinary for us. We're doing something, it's called the Chick-fil-A Leader Cast. We don't actually have Chick-fil-A's up here. If you're ever down in the southern part of the States, it's really, really good food. I mean, really good. Well, they're a Christian organization, and they're sponsoring a leader cast, and we're actually going to be taking it by a satellite here this Friday. If you're a leader in any way, shape, or form in the business world, community organization, nonprofit, this is for you. And uh, if you pre-register, it's way, way cheaper. It's just an opportunity. If you want to take a look, the details are in your program. As well, there's a blue envelope in your program, again this week, both at the Bellingham campus and the Ferndale campus. We're about halfway to our goal of finishing the House of Hope in Africa. And so if you'd like to be a part of this and push us over the top, we'll leave this for your good consideration. You can pray about it, and God will tell you exactly what He'd love for you to do. Our dream is to take about 50 kids who don't have a home right now. They're waiting for their home to be finished, and we're going to bring them into that environment and teach them and train them and love them and give them a family. If you'd like to be a part of it, we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. Final announcement, we're starting uh, another set of child dedication classes. We really believe in kids at Christ the King. And if you're a parent and you, and you have a small child and you'd like to dedicate them to the Lord, we've actually taken those celebrations out of our weekend services and, and created another environment where we really have an opportunity to get up close and personal with those parents. Uh, the classes are going to happen May 16th, 23rd, and June the 6th, and then we have a special dedication service where you invite your family and your friends to come and join you, and uh, it's an amazing time. The elders and the deacons and deaconesses of the church come, and we surround these families and pray for them. Parents actually make vows to their children about what kind of a home they're going to be raised in. It is a beautiful and moving thing. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can pick up a child dedication request form, or you can RSVP at the Welcome Center. We'd love for you to have an opportunity to be a part of that. All right, here's the deal. I'm battling a cold. I've got enough cold meds in me to... The chances of this going sideways are fairly high. Okay, the NyQuil and the caffeine are fighting in my system right now for supremacy. I'm hoping my voice is going to last all the way through the weekend. You came to the first one, so I'm going to give you everything that I got. And then I'm going to need you to be with me because we've got a really, really big word. I'll start by saying this. You know, you'd think I'd learn my lesson. A few months ago, I told you a story, a true story about me trying to order some books online. And, and how I mistakenly ordered a thousand copies of a $20 book by accident. And I, and I freaked out. I mean, I was completely freaking out. And, and I was saved in that moment by this mellowed out tech guy who, who was working for the company. I called him, begging him for his help. Some of you remember, his name was Dennis, and he talked like Hurley off of Lost. Everything was like, dude. I mean, that's just the way he was talking. And I called him, and he saved me. He canceled the order. 
I mean, I called him in a panic. He's just like, dude, like, chill out, dude. It's all good. Canceled it. It's gone. Don't work yourself up. Dude. I mean, he was just completely mellow. Well, you'd think I'd learned my lesson, right? Apparently not. Because this week I wanted to order another book. And I figured I shouldn't have to ask my assistant Diane to do this kind of thing. I'm a functioning, coherent adult. I can figure out how to order a book online. Apparently not, okay? So I'm doing pretty good. I've got everything in the right place, and I'm checking everything over and going. I'm going through it. I'm just ordering one book, one book, not that big of a deal. And I'm going through the things, and I'm kind of working through it, and it, went, it was going really, really good until my inner cheapness got a hold of me. You know, I'm cheap. I just am. I can get blood out of a stone if you let me squeeze it hard enough. I mean, that's the bottom line for me. I like to wring every dime, every penny out of everything. I'm, I'm cheap. Some of you call it frugal. It's just another word for cheap, okay? So I'm trying to plug these things in there, and I had a coupon. I found a coupon, and I wanted to apply it to my purchase. I like coupons. I wanted to redeem my coupon. It's like free money. Anybody else use coupons? I mean, Who's doing it? I mean, these days you're just trying to use save every penny you can, right? So I'm trying to enter my coupon in. It asks me the question, do you have any coupons? I'm like, yes, I do. So please enter the, the, the validation number. So I did. I punched in the number on the back of the coupon. My computer kind of twitched, you know, just like, like this. And, and something, you know, whatever it is that's on the other end of your computer, whatever it was on the other end of my transaction, it said that my coupon code was invalid. I checked it. It was not. So I entered it again with more pressure this time on my finger. So it got the point. It said to me again, my coupon was invalid and non-redeemable. I checked it. It was perfect. A perfectly good coupon. It had not expired. So I entered the code again, slower this time, so it would understand what I was trying to do. It said to me, if I continued to enter the code, that they were going to put a hold on my credit card information. Okay, well now I'm ticked, right? Like you call me a liar. I got a coupon right here. So I punched it in one more time, and suddenly it pops up a sign that talks about the dangers and the penalties for fraud. I'm not a fraud, so now I'm angry, right? I'm angry at the person, whoever it is, on the other end of this thing. So I was like, I'm going to take care of this once and for all. I called the book company. You know who answered? Dennis. He did. <laughs> I'm not lying. Dennis answered the phone. He's like, hello, you know. I'm like, Dennis, do you remember me? No, dude. I mean, he didn't remember a thing, right? I explained the situation to him, and he's just like, dude, it's, read me the code. He entered it, and I saved 10%. Total savings, $1. <laughs> One buck. Time spent saving one dollar? I don't want to talk about it, all right? Yeah. We've been in a series called Big Words. This, word, this week's word is redemption. And we don't have much of a cultural context for redemption. We really don't. I mean, we redeem coupons for discounts. Maybe some of you have gone through the faith-building exercise of trying to redeem air miles. Anybody else tried to do that? 
Yeah, and then, because, you know, you, you spend years compiling air miles, then you try to redeem them, and you find out that they're only redeemable on flights to Cleveland every fourth Monday between the hours of 3.35, 4.27 a.m. on airlines to start with the letter Q, and you have to stop in Guam in order to get wherever you're going. Anybody else been there? Yeah, you understand, right? I mean, outside of those two contexts, we don't have much interface with the concept of redemption. Let me tell you why. This word belongs to Jesus. Redemption is a thoroughly biblical word. The word itself is based in a difficult spot. We're going to walk through the difficulty. It's based in the inhumanity of slavery. The base of the word is not pretty, but the outcome of the word is one of the most beautiful pictures that you will get of the heart of God towards His kids. So I need you to use your brain this weekend. I need you to picture something with me, even though we have no context for it. I want you to picture yourself in the middle of the evil of a human slave market. I want you to picture human beings being sold on a platform and people purchasing them. I want you to picture that the auctioneer at the front is selling a child. And that the child is bound hand and foot with chains. And I want you to think about if you walked into that travesty and that child looked at you, what would you have to do? Let's say your heart's moved. Let's say you exhaust all of your resources to set them free. Let's say that you pay the price and that child becomes yours. Let's say, as they become yours, you release them from their bondage, you redeem them, and more than just setting them free to go and do their own thing, you actually allow them and welcome them into your family with all of the rights and responsibilities of a child. They were once a slave, but now he's your son. They were once a slave, but now she's your daughter. That's redemption. One who was enslaved is now set free and loved. For our purposes this week, we're going to use the following working definition of redemption. I defined it this way. It's the work of Jesus to release us from the captivity of sin. You'll notice who's doing the work. I'm going to keep coming back to this all the way through the series of who's doing the work and who's the beneficiary of that work. And this weekend, we're going to unpack redemption by going back to our story, the story that I just told about the slave market. But here's where it's going to get really, really personal. In our redemption story, the child is me and the child is you. Bellingham or Ferndale, this applies to all of us. We're going to walk through a redemption story, and I'm just going to weave this together and show you what the Bible teaches about this redemption story. It starts with this point. It's the first blank in your outline. The story starts with this, that sin was and is everyone's problem. I mean, we've thrown this depressing thought into every message so far in the series. Sin is common to all of us. We're all born with a sin nature, and Satan loves to exploit that fallen nature. He specializes in bondage and lies. He loves to try and, and, and convince you that you're always going to be known as the sinner that you are. 
Satan loves to, to chain us to our past failures, to remind us over and over again about those moments of compromise when, when we shamed ourselves and when we broke our own hearts and broke God's heart as well. He loves to, to cruelly assign titles to us. He likes to stick stickers all over us that read, liar, fraud, murderer, disappointment, anorexic, glutton, addict, thief, gossip, dirty, unforgivable. He loves to place those all over us. And, and one of our biggest problems as human beings is coming to that moment when you realize that at one point in your life, the labels were true. And we have a hard time allowing God to remove those and take those off. The Apostle Paul, a former murderer, he said this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, before you start staring at the floor and thinking that, that somehow we're going to start pushing your shame button, before you start looking at the floor because of that scripture and you realize that you're an object of God's wrath, remember from last week that the answer to God's wrath was last week's big word, which was propitiation, which means we're not under wrath anymore because Jesus took it for us. It means you don't need to handle those, th those assignments from the enemy anymore. It means if you know Jesus, you're not under wrath anymore, but the Bible doesn't make it clear. It's the second point in your outline. There was a time when sin owned us. I mean, let's just be real. It owned us. It's hard to admit it, but there was a time in my life when I was a slave to sin. It did whatever it wanted with me. I called it personal freedom but it was sin. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of religious people, and, and, and they are really, really struggling to admit that as very religious people that they could be described as slaves to sin. It's like, why in the world would you call us that? We're the good people. We're the church-going people. We're the religious folk. They start listing off their spiritual resume. Have you ever noticed how church people do that? It's like, here's all the things that I'm good at and you should be impressed by. I don't know why, but we do it. They start listing off their resume. The Bible says this, they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you then say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, period. You know what that means? It means we've been owned. We've been owned and that's bad news. What would be worse news is if we denied the fact that we'd been owned. I can tell you, 20 plus years of my life, owned, went the wrong way, did the wrong things, made very poor choices, and served a master that was not Jesus. Sin owned us, but that's bad news. But here comes good news. Jesus came to redeem us. 
He came to redeem us. If you don't get anything else, fill out that blank. That could be the most important blank of your life. John 3, 23 and 24 says this, For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I mean, I, I just want to, let me just say it one more time. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I need to ask a question. Does anybody else see their name at the end of that sentence? Okay, if your name is Jesus, just you know what I mean, all right? Okay? Does anyone else see their name at the end of that? Redemption can only come from Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. You can't redeem yourself. But isn't it amazing that we spend most of our life trying to do exactly that? We try to redeem ourselves. We've all got things in our past we want to redeem. We want to make it right. We want it to go away. We want to take it out of the slideshow inside of our brain. We want that to be a part of our past, and we want it to stay there. Jesus said the only thing that we can do to be redeemed is, is to allow him to do this good work in, in, in our lives. Jesus is the only one who can gather up the broken pieces, put them back together, and remove them. Bob Brenly is famous in the world of Major League Baseball because on September the 14th, 1986, Brenly committed four errors in one inning. He cost his team four runs. He booted three, threw another ball away, and he got booed off the field. Over the course of the game, Bob Brenly tried to redeem himself. Some people would say that he almost did. He hit a solo home run in the fifth inning. In the seventh inning, he hit a two-run double to tie the game. In the bottom of the ninth, with two outs, he hit a walk-off home run to win the game. Some people would look at that and say, well, he redeemed himself. He made up for everything that he did wrong, and then he actually tacked on something good at the end. He redeemed himself. Here's the problem. If you open up the sports record books, do you know what Bob Brenly is in there for? And the only thing he's in there for? Four errors in one inning. The Bible's full of stories about people who couldn't redeem themselves. Here's the amazing part of their story. God redeemed them and their lives were changed. Earlier this year, I, I, I preached a whole message about a woman by the name of Rahab who was a prostitute by profession who in God's providence became a part of an amazing story. And when we find Rahab way later in Scripture, we actually find her in the genealogical tree of a very, very important man. And we find out that she was actually a distant relative of a man by the name of Jesus. Apparently, God loves to put together broken hearts and lives. Paul was a murderer, and then God redeemed him, and because of that redemption, he became the greatest missionary in world history. Peter denied Christ, said, I don't know him. He actually contributed to the crucifixion, but because Jesus redeemed him at a different part, God used him as an integral part of birthing the New Testament church. Because of redemption, this big word, failures can become friends of the Most High and Almighty God. We have redemption stories all around Christ the King. 
I ran into a bunch of them this week. I met a lady at our church who once chose abortion. And now because of the redemption in her life, she now volunteers at a pregnancy center. Counseling and helping young couples who don't know where else to turn and telling them Jesus loves life. I met a father this week who walked out on his family years ago, but now Jesus is redeeming both his family and his relationships, and he's doing the unbelievably hard work. He was so excited last week because one of his sons called him up and called him dad. It's redemption. I met a victim of sexual abuse this week who was absolutely devastated, but now because of Jesus and the redemption of her story, he's helping other victims to see that Jesus sees victims in their wholeness not their brokenness. I met a drug addict who, because of Jesus, is now living clean and sober and is helping others on the journey of recovery. Their redemption stories. And how did they come about? They came about because in redeeming us, Jesus rescued us from the chains of bondage. He snapped them. He broke them. He took them off of us and allowed us to live free. Listen to these amazing words in Scripture out of Colossians 1. It says this, For He, that means Jesus, rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Welcomed us into His family after we were set free. Because we've been freed, God the Father chooses to see us differently. And we can't even go there. That's unbelievably good news. We can't go there because that's next week's big word, which is justification. Last weekend, I told you we were going to do justification. I've been so excited about this series, I got a week ahead of myself. Next week, we're just going to light it up because it's about justification, how God sees us. It's unbelievably good news. It's a beautiful thing when you think about redemption, but one of the most sobering aspects of redemption is that the payment for our ransom came at a very high price. The Bible teaches us, this is the next blank in your outline, that our freedom cost Jesus his life. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, For you know, you know, that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. No, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, a perfect sacrifice who became the propitiation for our sin, who spilled his blood so that you and I would have the opportunity to be redeemed and set free. My friends, you got to understand this. Jesus paid for my redemption with his blood and his life. He paid for your redemption with his blood and his life. Ephesians 1 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I love the fact that God, the Jesus that we serve, he doesn't just love partially, he loves extravagantly. He goes way over the top when it comes to pouring out love. This word says that he pours it out lavishly. And I read a little story this week. John Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men in United States history. He was known by reputation for walking around and handing out dimes to his employees who'd done a good job. What is up with that? 
You're one of the richest men in American history, and you're walking around throwing dimes at people. That doesn't make you lavishly loving. That makes you stingy and cheap. And the Bible shows us a contrast of that. He says that he pours it out lavishly, that it's over the top, that it doesn't make sense, that it's generously extravagant. Here's the amazing thing about redemption. The enemy took our souls captive and held us for ransom. And Jesus bought us back with his own blood on the cross so that the chains of sin that bound us could be broken and we could be set free. And he didn't just pour out a little bit. He poured out a lot. That's a good thing. So how in the world do we respond to this amazing redemption? I'll tell you how. It should make us live differently. We should live unbelievably and undeniably different because of what God did. 1 Corinthians says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What price was he paying? The price for redemption. And then Paul says this, Therefore, honor God with your body. Young people, older people, listen up. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. Period. That means do not dishonor God with your body. It means you don't get to do whatever you want to with your body because your body doesn't belong to you. Your body has a rightful owner, and it's not you. It's Jesus. That means you should live pure. Not just the young ones, not just the old ones, all of us. We should be living pure, thinking pure. We should be saving ourselves for marriage. We should be doing all of those difficult, unbelievably hard things. You know why? Because you don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price, and the price was huge. That means Saturday, I mean, we should just be making a decision that we're going to live differently, that we're not going to be like everybody else, that we're not going to do what everybody else is doing. That's the price. Galatians 5.1 says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You know what drives me crazy about my Christian faith? The Bible says I'm free. I know I'm free. I feel free. And yet I keep walking back to the same chains all the time and wrapping them around my own wrists and acting like I'm somebody's slave when Jesus said, you're free. Can I talk to those of you for just a moment whose eyes just hit the floor? Because even though you've been set free by Jesus, you walked back to your chains this past week. Can I tell you something? Even if you walked back to your chains and wrapped yourselves in them, you're redeemed. So live free. Walk free. Talk free. Allow Jesus to walk you away from the chains that have bind you because Scripture says you no longer need to go back to that yoke of slavery. How foolish would it be if you were set free to put yourself back up on the auction block to the highest bidder? Live free, Christ the King.
Walk free. Talk free. Don't compromise. Don't give in. I know I sound like a spiritual leader or a spiritual cheerleader. Maybe I need to be. Choose purity. Choose holiness. It's going to make you stick out like a sore thumb in this culture. Come on, young people. Stand up and be pure. Declare yourself as a follower of the one high and almighty God and do it different than everybody else is doing. Be the one to make it all the way across the finish line. Be the one who doesn't need to run to their computer in order to get their sexual needs filled. Be the one person to talk pure and walk pure. Be the one person to be the shining example in the middle of it. doesn't matter if everybody else thinks you're nuts. God thinks you're awesome. Walk in that strength. All right? Titus 2 says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, here it comes, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good? That's the bottom line. Because we are redeemed, we should live to do good. Not to make ourselves look good, but to make Jesus our Redeemer look good. In your program this week are unbelievably difficult next steps. I want to encourage you to go through the program to move beyond good intentions and actually take a next step. Young people... Middle school and high school students, Pastor Brian, Tim, Chelsea, and Kyle are doing a phenomenally risky thing right now. They're doing a series on purity. It's called sexology. My son has been going to it. It has rocked his world. Don't get stuck in good intentions. Step across the line and hear what God has to say. I am so proud of our youth team for putting their neck out and speaking truth to our young people. Young adults, Pastor Ryan is starting another relationship series. He does it perpetually throughout the year, unbelievably gutsy, to sit with another group of young adults and talk about what it means to live differently in a world and in a culture that says, now you've got to act this way in order to be accepted and loved. Have you ever thought that they might be selling you a counterfeit? Ryan wants to tell you the truth. Man, there's a class starting called Stand Firm. If you're struggling with addictions and chains, that's the place that you can cross the line. It takes courage to go. It takes courage to show. But what might happen to you if God redeemed your shame and set you free to live a life without all of that garbage in your heart and your mind? There's another one called Change Your Family's Future. All of these things are in your program. They're, they're just all over the place. Do you know why they're there? They're not there because we don't think you're busy enough. I know you're unbelievably busy. They're there because the loosing of the chains can be a process. And sometimes you need to learn what it means to live free because you've spent a lot of years living in bondage. My encouragement is for you to take Whatever step that you need to. 
in order to live free the, God would have, the way God would have you to. In my quiet time this week, I was reading an Old Testament story about a man named Hosea. He was a preacher and a prophet who was told by God to marry the town prostitute. If you don't believe it's in your Bible, check it out for yourself. The heartbreaking story of Hosea is that even after his wife has been married to him, she keeps going out and prostituting herself. And God keeps telling her, him, to go and find her and bring her home. She goes out again. Hosea, you go and find her and bring her home. The climax of the story is Hosea actually has to pay to buy his wife back. And if you read the story, just in case you were wondering, none of us are Hosea. We're her. And Jesus keeps coming and calling and rescuing and redeeming and begging us to not keep the cycle going, but instead to walk free. It's a beautiful redemption story. Maybe I should have preached it this weekend. Maybe you need to go home and grab your Bible and read it for yourself. It will leave you in awe of the lengths that God will go to to redeem his kids. As I spent the week preparing, as often happens, the enemy loves to come and beat me up and remind me of my long and very colorful past. It has been a war in my soul this week to keep reminding myself I'm one of the redeemed. I have been forgiven. I have been set free. That is who I was, but that's not who I am anymore. And that's a hard deal because I'm just like everybody else. I know what it's like to get beat up when the enemy just comes along and says, yeah, but I remember that one time, and you better not forget about this one time. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do to the enemy is to speak out loud to him. And you tell him who you are all week long. People probably been thinking I've been nuts, sitting in my office, typing away, going, I am one of the redeemed. I don't always act like it, but I am one of the redeemed. Isaiah 35 is the song of the redeemed. And this is what it says. These were my marching orders this week. It said, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. If we understand who we are as the redeemed, God promises that miracles are going to happen all over the place. He promises us that there's going to be a breaking loose like we've never seen or experienced before. And then he goes on and says this. 
No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy on their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So my answer and my admonishment to the redeemed of Christ the King is this. Why are you sitting down? Why are you living a life wrapped in chains when the Redeemer who is living inside of us has come to break us loose? Should we not celebrate? Should we not stand? Should we not clap our hands as fools in the eyes of man, but knowing that we're not fools in the eyes of God? Should we not give praise as the redeemed of God who have been set free and those who the Son has set free is free indeed? Come on, church. Come on, church. Amen. You think that's good news? Wait till you hear about justification. Oh, my goodness. Can you be seated for just a moment? Somebody asked me last week why I'm so excited about this. I'm a big history buff. When slaves were set free, they would sing. I spent a lot of my life not singing. Nobody's going to shut me up now because I'm free and you're free. And if you know Jesus, you should walk free. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for redemption in Jesus' name. I thank you that our Redeemer lives and that he likes to put a former in front of everything. You're a former addict. You're a former anorexic. You're a former liar. You're a former thief because in you we have an opportunity to have our story redeemed and to walk as full and complete children of God. So we celebrate our redemption tonight. We celebrate you tonight as our great Redeemer. God, I can't even wait for next week to talk about how you see us, how you choose to see us. So God, may we walk as redeemed children of the Most High God this week. May we talk different, walk different, act different, and be different because we have been set free. We give you all praise and all glory, and it is in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen.